Awesome. Well, we've got the catalyst and experience, and those are really catalyst experience and transformation all kind of go hand in hand, which is why I put it up like this. But we're going to try to look at catalyst and experience. And uh, apart from DeMarcus, because I, I know he's studied the archetypes, and there's a couple of other people who might be interested, um, have done that some, but I'm just kind of curious and throwing it out there. Who has looked at the archetypes before <laughs> in, in Ra? Okay, Leon, yeah. Danny. When at you. At one time. At one time, yeah. And by the way, I can't see everybody. Uh, because it's a little bit over here on the side. And so maybe if you could just interrupt and if you have something you want to say would be, would be great. Well, let's look at the catalyst of the, the, the image of the catalyst here. And one of the things that we want to look for is first off, how does the image make you feel? How does the image make you feel? I'm going to open up so we can, I can call people. Um, who would like to go first? How does that image, when you when you look at this catalyst here, is there a particular feeling that emerges for you? My first would be, I guess you can say, what's the word? Revealing, because the potentiator is, um, she's veiled, she's kind of aloof a little bit. But for the catalyst, she's now open, she's available to us. Um, and then you have the sun shining behind her also, which is kind of more of like shining light on catalyst. And, you know, you have the bird and all that stuff. So to me, the first feeling I get is very open, bright and, you know, ready for action. Yeah, perfect. Notice where we well, yeah, Let's just look at see what we see first. We'll look at just see at the images first and then we'll we'll come back and see if we can find. Um, some meaning in the images. And I'll tell you what, everything has meaning. It's really crazy. Um, so let's look at what else do we see? You see, you see the bird and uh, what hand is she holding the bird? Left. Left that's hand. So that's important. And then um, we see, what else do we see? What is the spear that she's holding? Right, because it's in the experience one too. That's, that was my question. Yes. Um, the bird, you mean? No, the no, spear, the serpent. Yeah. So the right hand. Right. Okay, good. So we see a sphere. We're going to just name what we see first, and then we're going to come and talk about the um, what they might mean. So we see that. Uh, what else do we see? We saw, see the sun. Her feet are on some sort of like crescent or a, or there's some, they're on something or maybe that's her shoes. You're right. They're on a crescent moon. So again, we're going to, we're going to come back to that, but go ahead, Leon. She has bare feet. She has bare feet. Very good. Yeah, that's exactly right. Cause sometimes in the images, she does not have bare feet or other Images don't have bare feet, so it's important to note that. Is there a serpent around her headdress as well? I can't quite see, but I see the little yeah. head coming out, similar to the other one. Yeah, the serpent's in her headdress. Right there. Okay. Yeah, okay, That's I see that. Yep, good. You see that. I spy eyes on the box. <laughs> I, my little eye spies in that... <laughs> <laughs> yes, and how many are there? Oh, wait, one, two, one, three, four, five. There's five. Five. And we're noticing um, where they're positioned, because that's, that's kind of cool. Mm -hmm. Is her midriff bare? Her... Yeah, she would fit in yeah. in today's um, style. <laughs> <laughs> You see how they keep coming back? I mean, you wait, you know, a few thousand years and that shit comes right on back. Everything goes in cycles, everything. <laughs> there has, oh, there's banding on the top and the bottom of the box. Like yep. stripes. There's stripes. Okay. 
She has bracelets on, it looks like. Right here. Mm -hmm. Notice the colors. One, I don't see any color. The one's black. The one is not. Oh, okay. Oh, I thought it was two two different small bracelets. It's one fat one you're saying mm -hmm. on the right. And then she's got like a sheer transparent veil that she's wearing around her. Very her. important. Very yeah, important. That's what I was seeing. I couldn't tell that the well because she looks like she has nothing on underneath it. So <laughs> very sheer. Yeah, in ten years, I think that's probably what will happen here, Modwat. Probably. <laughs> but she has a veil on. And it's positioned in an important place, um, you know, in this area. Okay, good. Um, what about on her head? On her wrist. She's got bracelets on her wrists. Yep, there and there. That's right. Different colors. And we notice. And on her upper arms. Oh, no. On a crown. And there's one, two, three, what is that? Well, we really can't tell, I guess, because it goes around maybe, huh? Yeah. Okay. Um, and notice now, so now what we're going to do, uh, does anybody see anything else that, uh, of interest? Okay. Now um, let's look at the coloring. All right. Well, we can't, I know it's black and white, but uh, notice that this is dark. And this, that the legs are dark, right? The hip, the, um, not hip, what do you call it? Uh, the, the solar plexus down is dark. And then it's, not. Well, it looks more like the waist down, not the solar plexus down. Yeah, I get, yeah, you're right. The waist down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would be better. Uh huh. Okay, and she is positioned. Let's look at the positioning of things, and then we're going to try to start looking at the meaning. Um, no, so we see the bird. Look at the bird and look at the bird's wings. What do you see about the wings? Is one pointing towards her face? Is that a wing? It is. <clears throat> and which what which wing is it that's pointing towards the face? The right wing. That's the right wing. <clears throat> Those are all important. Okay. And the left wing is pointing straight down. And, right. notice, and notice the shape of the wing. Notice the shape of the wing. It, it kind of looks a little bit like a knife or something, doesn't it? Yes, very much. Also important. You know, people were saying a dagger or something. What were they saying earlier? Was somebody seeing? Was that what they were looking at when they were? Because I didn't see that there was. I'm forgetting which word. But someone was referring to something that looked like a knife or a dagger. And then. I was confused as to if, if, if that's what they were seeing or if there's something else that I'm missing. Did anybody say dagger earlier? No. Uh, I didn't thought it was a dagger and then someone said bird and I was like, oh, it was a bird, not a dagger. Okay. So okay. It, okay, it, it, but you could say it's both, isn't it? I thought it was. Maybe it's a bird with a dagger. And in, <laughs> in Texas, we call that a, a dang bird, a, da a, a, a dang dagger bird. bird. <laughs> okay, good. Um, notice where the dagger, I mean, we're just looking at, we're positioning. Lo notice where the daggers, the bird's daggered wing is pointing to in this right here area, the mouth. Mm. Okay. And what is parallel to the bird? We see the orb. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not like the one is higher than the other. They're, they're, you could draw a straight line. Exactly parallel. That's important. Um, notice her head as, as it is positioned in the sun. Do you, what do you notice there? Mm -hmm. 
Any close to the middle? Yeah, it's close to the middle. Um, you might say that the the forehead, like really, I guess it might be the crown chakra, the the um, right on her head is like exactly in the middle, perhaps right here. Um, so we have the yeah. So the head is is located right in the middle and centered for sure. I mean, pretty centered. Yep. Notice how she's holding these up. So she is not, she's looking to the left. We see that. But her, she's kind of sat askew. You see that? She's facing us with her body, but her head is looking to the left and her legs are also both at the left. That's interesting, huh? Totally. So that means something. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so those are the positionings, things that we can see in terms of positioning, I suppose. Now, let's talk a little bit about some of the meaning. Oh, and, uh, as we said here, the crescent is down here at the bottom below her feet. All right. So catalyst, Ra says, is anything that assaults our senses at any time. That is catalyst. Mm. And <clears throat> that's, that's uh, how we receive catalysts. It's not like you're not receiving catalysts every moment, but certainly the catalysts that we pay attention to, you know, the suffering or the joy or the perplexity or delight, all these things that kind of speak to us to pay attention. Those are maybe loud catalysts. <laughs> um, regardless, how we pr process the catalysts are very, very important. This is how it leads to bias in the experience. And we'll talk about that in a second. And that can lead to transformation as we learn more and more about how to um, use our catalyst to polarize more positively, let's say. So we're going to start here at the bottom, the old feet. Now, uh, her feet are upon the crescent moon. What does a crescent moon or what does the moon symbolize, uh, especially like a half moon like that? What might that symbolize archetypally, do you think? Maybe the end, ending of a season or like the, the culmin, I don't know. Like, that's what I'm getting. Like, maybe like, like it's almost gone. So it's like a, almost a transition. I'm, I'm. Okay. Yeah. Um, the moon is situated in this way, uh, maybe in, for two different reasons. One is the moon, uh, um, Ra hints a little bit in the Law of One about what the moon might symbolize. Um, Demarcus, do you have an idea? What do you, what do you got? Um, I believe Ra said it symbolized polarity, especially with the shading of one to being darker, one um, lighter. And that, you know, if she were to stand up, there would be a, pretty much symbolizing that both polarities, that this is an archetype that both polarities um, endure. If she were to stand up, she would have to be balanced, wouldn't she? Be because we don't want to tip over to the right. We don't want to tip over to the left. So that would be that bowl shape looking the way it's positioned. The moon is positioned in that way is that uh, if she were to stand up on that, then she would have to be balanced. That, that's interesting. It's an interesting thing to think about. But the moon, according to Ra, symbolizes the, uh, you would say, the darkness of the veil. The fact that we can't know anything for certainty. That we see the world, the spiritual world, or our intuition through a kind of shade or darkness. 
it's not like it's a bright sun um, that we can see everything perfectly. So there's things in the dark. And what Ra says is that the dark, I mean, the moon uh, can uncover things, but it also can obscure things. Because I'm sure that you guys have been outside and then when there's been a moon and you see something in my, well, when I was a kid, for sure, it's like, is that a monster over there? And you right. just stare at it, you stare at it and you realize it's a tree, <laughs> you know, uh, or you might not know exactly what you're seeing. You think you see something, maybe you're sure, but maybe it's not. And so the moon archetypally rec- uh, symbolizes this idea of uh, it can uncover our intuition can glean um, something accurately, but it's also possible that what we think is there is really not. You see, and that and that kind of the gives of, the type of seeing and shadow. Yeah, and what does uh, Paul say in in we his? We see through a glass darkly or that's dimly. It. That's it. We we see through yeah. a glass. Darkly. That's exactly right. So you can see that this would be the actual archetype of that. Now, it's located down here at the bottom, and there's a, and her feet are bare. So, what, what, what might we think about having bare feet? Is what do you, anything come to mind? Vulnerability. Perfect. Vulnerability to what? To injury. To to what? I said to injury, Doug. Okay, certainly. How about vulnerability to every catalyst? Right. Uh, or the path that we're walking, just the yeah, the, the treachery of the the path we're walking. That's right. Um, or the joy, regardless, it's going to be intense. You know, Ra says that the Earth's third density is uh, experience is super intense, and our feet is the are the first things that touch the ground that make contact with the ground, and if they're bare, then it is super raw. And I don't, I mean, R-A-W. <laughs> um, now, <clears throat> what is interesting here is that Ross says, and I'm going to see if I, I think I have it down this way. Yep. You guys can see that. So look at, um, I'm going to move the screen over a little bit. Okay, so look at the catalysts. Ross says that you might think you're able to process catalysts in the conscious mind. So in other words, if you're driving and somebody pulls right in front of you and you make a split decision about what to do, and you might think all that took place on the conscious mind, it got there real quick, but it was not the first entry into your field of conscious. Like all things, there is an in-streaming that, uh, you know, that kind of comes through the lower chakras. And Ra talks about that being red ray, the first things. That's the first center that gets processed. So we're going to talk about that in a second. So the, the catalyst, whatever happened, is going to go right it's going to be in our lower unconscious. So catalysts actually enter into the lower unconscious and then go to the upper unconscious and then go to the lower conscious and then go to the upper conscious. And it can happen very quickly. But that's why, for example, I could say uh, a statement or somebody could say a statement or somebody could show a picture here and all of us could have very different reactions, emotional or th- reactions or thoughts, different thoughts, same picture, different ways to interpret that. And that's because it comes up through the unconscious first. Yeah. 
So it's going to come up. Now notice that, that her pants, um, beginning at her waist and going down, are dark. Okay, so what is what do you think that means? Representing the lower three chakras. Absolutely. And what do we know about the lower three chakras? That lower three chakras are um, chakras. I'm not, I'm not actually sure if it's going to be the lower three chakras. It might be the lower two chakras. I, I'm just taking a guess here. But because actually you, Leon, said it was the waist, and that made me think, oh, yeah, because this would be the solar plexus a little bit above that, right? And we are in third density. And notice the solar plexus has it totally bare. So that kind of symbolizes a little bit our, um, that's, that's where we're at. We, we are in our third density, which is the third chakra of God, and we are third density beings. And so that's sort of our, our bare essential, our bare uh, naked reality, if you will. Um, every moment we are third density beings having the moment we're God having a moment of a third density experience, but this pants or skirt that she's wearing is indeed dark and it's flowy too. So that might represent the veiled portion of whatever meaning a catalyst actually has, because Ross says that we, Almost all the catalysts that we receive until we learn more and more about ourselves and, and the world is that, that the meaning is always half lost. Mm. You see? And I'm guessing that that half lostness is taking place <laughs> right here in the, in the one and two. Where do they say that, Doug? Uh, I don't know the exact session. Look it up if you want. Um, but the yeah. ca catalysts are always, the meanings are almost always half lost. Half lost would be the search word? Yeah, I think so. Cool, thank you. And it's, I also find it fascinating that in her skirt, we have, um, a, it looks like a belt or some kind of cincture around her waist. Do you see that? And uh, that's where the second chakra is. And the second chakra is our sense of self, our internal sense of self. It's, it's, um, it's, it's our orange ray, and it's kind of who we think we are. And so we don't know who we are very well until we learn a lot of life and have lots of reincarnation and lots of ways to experience um, polarization and all that stuff. But these archetypes, by the way, are not to really to point out, uh, it, it's to point out the entire third density experience. So when a person, Ross says, when the first newly minted third density beings, for example, um, it takes a lot of incarnations for a person to realize that they're not animals, that they have needs beyond the animalistic, you see. And Ross says, and they start to learn how to, the meaning of love, how to give, how to barter, the need for these things that are above and beyond the animalistic. But for a while, it's, it's kind of humans learning to be humans, different incarnations. And uh, that would be the fact that would kind of speak to our sense of self being censured or pretty tight until it's not. <laughs> until we have a sense here in this bareness that there is such a thing as needs beyond the animal. The other thing Ross says is that the third density human doesn't have the strength or let's say the hair covering like animals do um, and that we are necessarily third density beings are necessarily uh, more vulnerable physically 
And why do you think that that's a, a, something that's true for third density beings? Why would uh, being vulnerably uh, made be an important part of third density experience? It enhances the catalyst and our processing of that catalyst. Absolutely. And it necessitates cooperation with others. Yes. Yes. You see, and, and Ross says that, that when we are um, cooperating, when because of our sort of weakened state compared to, let's say, a gorilla or something in, living in the wild, uh, it necessitates the vulnerability of our bodies necessitates working together. And isn't that a wonderful thing for third density beings to do is that's how we learn to polarize is in community. Yeah. Okay. So, um, but once we get to the heart now, notice this is open. This is open here. But th this is shrouded. We start to see the shroud. This would be the veil. But why do you think it's semi-permeable? Because we, I, I would think because we, we, we get these internal hints of eternity. You know, the old God has set eternity within their hearts. Uh, Jesus, my sheep hear my, know my voice. It's like we know, but we don't fully know. Yeah. So we're trying to figure it out because we know, we know, but we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the, the pants, going back to the pants or skirt, is not veiled. I mean, it is veiled. It's thickly veiled. Thick. Dark. Uh, but up here, beginning around the heart area and above, it is thinly veiled. And that's important because this is where, when we get into the heart area, Ross says that we start to be able to pierce the veil a little bit. That we realize, we awaken to the fact that there's something transcendent to us. Yes. And how are you going to realize that something's transcendent to you is when you start to have that warmth in your heart, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and that's a piercing of the veil of forgetting because that's when intuition starts to kick in. And it's like, I, I think I belong to something bigger here. I, I think I belong. Maybe we all do. Maybe we're all sort of connected somehow. It's all dark. It's not perfectly, uh, plain, but, but yes, there, there's a way in which we can start to pierce the veil in the heart. You see that in the heart area. And also um, in relation to the potentiator of the mind, um, where she, the high priestess is completely veiled in this archetype, she's partially veiled, which shows that the unconscious, which is female, since the figure is female, that represents the unconscious part of the mind. And so in this archetype, being partially veiled and not completely veiled anymore, it's symbolizing the unconscious being visible to us through catalyst. So it's our, the unconscious part of our mind revealing itself through catalyst. Awesome. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's great. What, anybody else? Um, the, we have access to the unconscious beginning around the heart area. We start to have access to our unconscious. Now, that's the heart is the fourth chakra. Notice if we were to draw a line from the, this is the symbol of the bird with a knife is the symbol of the catalyst coming in. So if we were to draw a line here to here, what is that cross? The blue, the, the fifth chakra. There we go. Right. That's right. It's exactly right. 
That's interesting, isn't it? What, what, what might that, what do you guys think about that? I'm not sure if the, I have the, you know, <laughs> any decent response. I'm just curious what you guys, what we think about it here. I'm just speculating, Doug. Yeah. Uh, smart. So I'm just wondering if the, the left hand with the bird represents the intuitive and emotional and the right hand with the sphere represents the intellectual reasoning and the way the two come to a nexus at the fifth, um, the blue center, uh, Blu-ray center uh, for communication. If it uh, becomes, it comes into the spoken word to, to create the reality from, from the uh, intuitive and the uh, intellectual. Okay. So you just went real deep. Rocked, rocked, love it. Um, the only thing I might, I might say, and I'm not sure if I'm right, but I wonder if I would switch where the bird on the left side represents the rational mind and on the right side, typically the right brain is considered to be more intuitive. Ah, maybe so. I guess the reason that I speculated that the bird represented the emotional uh, is the maybe just my assumption wrongly or rightly that uh that the emotions are uh connected to the the uh, kind of the ethereal flighty nature of wings and flying and how it lifts our hearts you know when we see a bird fly just kind of the associations that i have with that but i don't know i don't know i like i like that in fact raw does say that the birds symbolize something. Does anybody remember what birds symbolize in the raw material? Movement, flight, change, messages. Spirit. That's there right. We so we could see that the bird, and you know, even in the Christian faith, we have the Holy Spirit as, as a dove, and <laughs> I'm sure there's other faiths that have kind of a bird... But anyways, you got the spirit. So catalysts um, could be seen as like intelligent energy coming at us, the spirit. Yeah. Now, it is a message. Birds are messengers. And are, are catalysts not message, messages to us on how to deal with them? They're messages for us to continue to grasp and learn from them. And uh, it's interesting that the, and I loved what you had to say. So you said the, what was it? The, you said the two of these come together to, at the vocal cords. What was, do you, Mark, do you remember what you said there? Uh, to to uh, uh, express uh, through communication and words, make, uh, uh, bring that into words, uh, the reality of the catalyst to be able to communicate it to oneself and others. Yeah. Okay. That's, yeah, that's great. That's, that's good. There is, there is a, I was looking up a lyric by a rapper called most deaf and he has this lyric that he says, visions occupy my synaptic space, command and shape to illustrate my mind's landscape. And I was like, that's it. What you just said. That's awesome. I think Mark was channeling his innermost deaf. That's what it was. <laughs> um, okay. Now, <clears throat> we're going to come back to the bird, but let's look here over at the uh, sphere. And the sphere, what do you think the sphere might represent? It's in a lot of the different ones. What do you think it might represent? I have the idea in my head that the sphere represents like magic or the magical being or like white magic, like positive, something positive. I could be totally off base, but that's like what I'm remembering from the material. I've never really understood the archetypes or the these. So I'm really excited you're doing this. 
Um, you're exactly right, though. The magic. It's the magical path. But every moment's magical. And mm. notice that in the images, the bird, the catalyst on that's coming in, and the sphere are the farthest apart. Mm. Because a, a catalyst might come at you, but we don't maybe know what it really means. Or how, how can we receive the catalyst in a way that we can see it as a gift, even if it's painful? You see, that, that that's a long time in coming in terms of reincarnation or in someone's life is when you can see something that is hurtful or painful, but wow, I never would have chosen it, but I'm sure grateful it happened. You know what I mean? Notice that they're far apart. So <clears throat> the Ross says that the sphere is seen as, uh, it's kind of like the magic of every moment. Um, and for a, a positive adept, for example, or somebody on the positive path, can learn to receive and process through the unconscious up to the conscious positive things about catalysts coming in. And um, for example, and one of my great spiritual teachers, uh, Brother David Steinelrost, He's a Catholic monk. He's like 97 years old, that dude. But anyways, he started a movement uh, called Grateful Living, I think. But it, his whole message is gratitude and gratefulness. And he states, you can't be grateful for every moment or every bad thing that happens. I mean, it would be foolish to be grateful for bad things. But you can always be grateful for your choice on how to handle them. So that's kind of trying to say the same thing there. Now, notice the shape. Of course, it's a sphere. Do you see the parallel between the orb that she holds in her hand and the orb behind the head? What might that symbolize? What might that be? That connection be? As above, so below. Mm. Talk to me more about that. Talk to us more about that. Uh, the microcosm versus the macrocosm uh, that uh, that reality from a holographic sense manifests in the smallest the whole manifests in the, even the smallest component of the, the the unified whole great also the sun is a symbol of the one infinite creator unity and the orb would be the symbol of the God or the creator now incarnated as the third density being. And the more that they can understand, the more that we can understand the magical nature of every moment. As Ross says, the moment contains love, the plenum, the full plenum of the one infinite creator, you know? The more that we can understand that, then we, as Ross says, become that which we have always been, which is the one infinite creator. So you're right, as above, so below, as below, so above, and that this is also in the sense of the magical, everything's magical, the one infinite creator's magical. <laughs> um, and we hold that, our, our sense of dignity and power, you see. Isn't that nice? Isn't that a beautiful uh, gift that we have as being the creator here, having that capacity to hold up as a light um, in what seems to be the darkness of the veiled condition of third density, but we can hold up wholeness. You can almost see that this is wholeness uh, in, embodied. Yes, yes. If the one infinite creator behind is wholeness in potential or wholeness prior to incarnating as manifestation, the orb held in the body of, of a person is wholeness on the other side of incarnation. You kind of see it that way too. Um, now let's look at this here interesting bird. 
<clears throat> what can we, what do we think about this here dagger? <laughs> the, the wing that looks like a dagger. Why, why is it the right wing and why does it look like a dagger? What do you think? It's, to me, it's reminiscent of like piercings. Like it, it pierces right where the, the circumference of the sun right there. It's like it's getting through, like intuition is getting in, piercing beyond the veil. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, anybody else? What do you think? And why would the dagger be dark, by the way? And why is the dagger coming from the left-hand side? Those are all important things. It's, it seems like in our starting place, when we're early in our evolution, we are a lower frequency and are more tuned into the um, darker stimulus. And it's like, like this is the starting place. Uh, this this archetype is is mesmerized more by the the darker stimulus, and I guess well, I guess it's the the right wing, which is or maybe that is like the stimulus may be a darker stimulus, but it really is for your own good. Maybe that's the the right wing part of it. It's like it's uh it, it, it's the stimulus is ultimately lifting you. Okay, you're speaking some deep truth here. That's that's very good, Leon. Um, I, yeah, and the dark wing. Notice that the contrast between the dark wing and the white orb. Okay, so when catalyst comes in, when you and I experience catalyst, it can often sting. And it's veiled, and we can't maybe understand the nature of that catalyst. Uh, it's dark. It's uh, uh, now it's pointed, and it can it can hurt, or it can be intense, you know. Um, but notice because it goes through the wisdom, the Blu-ray. Now the Blu-ray is not blue only by itself. The blue equals chakra one, two, three, four, and then five. So a well-developed blue ray is uh, a gestalt, is a, a high, it, it's the sum of the lower come to a new singularity, a new level of seeing. So it incorporates all of that. And someone who is wise in the sense of the blue ray is someone who can see more clearly the nature of catalyst it's processed through the different energy centers and then in a balanced way is used efficiently and we arrive at the magical nature of every catalyst and and wisdom would help us discern that you see it's fascinating now the way I understand the reason why the wing is right that's coming in and then the left one is down. If we look at a lot of Ra's um, archetypes and if, if you guys like this, we can do this more often, I guess, if you want to look at the different archetypes. But we'll start to see that the left hand or, yeah, the left hand of the different figures will be holding a, a sword and it's pointing down. The left hand has a point that goes down into the ground. And as far as I can tell, there's three different reasons for that. Now, it could be wrong. Ra does say that when you have a sword in the left hand, it can symbolize the left-hand path that tries to absorb power um, for the self. So there's that way to see it. Another way to see a left, the left-hand path, or the left-hand holding a, a sword or something that goes downward is that it's a symbol of the incarnate reality that it's it's a downward uh, movement into embodiment 
because we'll see that in different places where the left toe or the left whatever left uh, dagger is going down and touching the ground and that's a symbol of um our the spirit being incarnated in a pointed place in one place in one time and it's totally unique that's you and me you see and then the 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 third reason why i think the left is often pointed down in Ra's archetypes is because um, there's a way that <clears throat> the left is not free. Uh, it doesn't move. It's the incarnated state is that we are um, embodied for a reason and the constriction that we have as the one infinite creator and embodiment, let's say, is to be constricted on our omnipotence and omniscience for the very good reason of learning what it means to be the one infinite creator. So you got to start in a pointed way where you're not free to move. There, there's a kind of stuckness. Um, but then the right hand is... That's kind of like our ability to maneuver in, in the stuck state. So I'm trying to think of a way to, um, an analogy of that, if somebody can think of one before me. But um, let me think. Okay, well, let's say it this way. Dumb, this might be a really dumb analogy. I don't know why it's coming. You guys are going to make fun of me. I hope you do. If you're my friend, you'll make fun of me. Um, juggling. <laughs> I don't know why I thought of juggling, but let's say, let's say, uh, Danny, you know, he's bored up there in, uh, Wyoming, man, it's colder than crap. So the man's stuck in snow and he's going to say, I'm going to take up juggling and, uh, and I'm not going to do anything else until, until I learn how to juggle. But let's say he doesn't know how to juggle with crap. So he's starting to juggle and he's stuck. He's, he's stuck with the, the absolute act of juggling until he gets it so down, now Danny might be very talented, so it might take him not very long, but he gets it so down that it's no longer something he has to think about. Now he's free, he's doing the juggling act, but he's free to chill, he's free to like do a, unicorn, a unicycle and has all this freedom, but he has the freedom within the boundary. You see? Um, or let's say if you and I were playing a game, we're going to be playing some uh, poker. The rules of the game is a stuckness. If you're going to play blackjack, you're going to play blackjack, and you're going to go by the rules of blackjack. But you and I playing blackjack will create all kinds of fun, something that the rules can't the, we, you have fun and, and there's a bonding and, and there's a joy in that playing blackjack. But uh, it's only because we can have that kind of fun is if we have the structure of the rules. So the left hand would be kind of the structure in that sense. And the right hand or the right wing or whatever is kind of like our capacity to process it and, and understand it. Hey, Doug? Yeah. Can I say something real quick? Please is interrupt. The, the, my favorite movie of all time deals with this subject specifically. It's it's about the beauty of it's about the beauty of limitation, the um, um, the freedom of expression within the defined closed uh, parameters of limitation. And I think that's what you're talking about. The name of the movie, if you've never seen it, is called The Legend of 1900. And very briefly, it's about a, it's about a, a, a guy that's born on a ship at the cusp of the year of 1900. He becomes a prodigy piano player, and he never leaves the ship. And he talks about it, this at the end of the movie and it's so profound and it's so moving to me and it's exactly what you're talking about and it defines the human condition 
so precisely. It's if you guys could should try and find it. It's it's like three bucks on Amazon Prime, but it's so worth seeing because it talks about exactly what you're talking about in such a eloquent and beautiful and moving way. Uh, somebody write that. Somebody put that in Slack, please. That's 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 something I want to check out. Um, beautiful, beautiful. Thank you for that. Um, just before we leave here, though, let's just look at the box. So, what does a box usually symbolize? Does anybody have any idea? I mean, Raw gives gives an idea, but uh, I didn't know before I spread it in Raw. <laughs> what does the box symbolize? The material. Demarcus? The material illusion. Yeah. Uh, I think in Esoterica, four, three is, is the number of transformation, and four is a um, quadrinity, or uh, I can't remember how to say that word. But anyways, it's stability. It, it's, it's not a progression. You see, it's stability. If you have three of something, there's always going to be an odd thing out and it's going to create a new gestalt, a new movement forward. But four is stable, like a table. I bet most depth has that, stable like a table somewhere. I bet you should look that up. Some, it was probably somewhere. Yeah. Um, anyways, so we have the material illusion. She's sitting upon the material illusion, upon it, not in it. And there's five eyes. What do you? What might you think about that? The five senses. That was one thing I thought about. Yeah. What else? Do you remember in the Law of One where? Um, in the banishing ritual, I think they changed yo hey vohe to yo hey shin vohe. Yep. Yeah. So yo hey shin vohe apparently is, um, I think it's the name of Yehoshua, Je Jesus, but it's this idea of God incarnate. God the one infinite creator, Yahweh, Yohei, Vohei, and then Shin would be incarnate. And so you have the, um, also, I think it's the five elements. You, we usually think of the four elements, but uh, five elements, we are all, we are, our bodies are the four elements, but we add one more thing, and that is, sentience or self-awareness so you could see maybe the five eyes could represent the four elements that we make up uh, is it earth air fire and water plus sentience yeah self-awareness nice so that's the catalyst um and, and there's probably a lot more of there but that's kind of the stuff that i've seen before 